Hi there, welcome back. We're listening to Majority 54, The Aftershocks, the most powerful indictment against Trump and others. Could you imagine 19 defendants on the, uh, in the dock, like, and including Giuliani and Meadows? Posted Trump 23 hours ago. Some of which are going to testify. I mean, you're going to have Giuliani in there with his hair running down his back. You know, the, the whatever that stuff is he puts in there. And, like, I mean, that's <laughs> going to be, like, how many different limited series will be made about this when <laughs> we're in our 60s? Like, I, I, I mean, one for, like, every possible defense. I mean, they're right? turning these things out really fast. The, the depth heard that documentary is already out. I mean, they're... they're they do these things so fast. I just logged on to Netflix yesterday, and it was already popped up. Uh, yeah. I'm like, this, this is a record time. Um, so, okay. Uh, the I think before we move on to any of this stuff, I think um, I think we need to revisit our power rankings here. Uh, oh, right. I think this one goes to the top now. I think I go this one number one. Our power rankings of Trump indictments. Yeah, meaning most threatening to him, I think being the most important um, standard. I think this is number one. I think the last, uh, the, the election interference DC one, even though I think they have less deadly rights than number three, which is the Miami case. I think the Miami jury and judge make that number three for me, and then I put Bragg a very, very, very distant for um, even though that's a state level crime, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I just think that that one is just not as threat. I don't know. Although that one well, can't be pardoned either. Yeah, I mean that's why you've got to believe that. that I, I think I agree with you that this goes to this goes to number one in terms of the most threatening because he, there is no scenario under which he. The only scenario under which he gets out of a conviction is if there is some real stretch of a legal argument made by an appellate court, ultimately the Georgia Supreme Court, um, right? Like, that's the only way, is if that at some point, which is, I, without having looked at all of it, it's conceivable that, that I suppose, if there were a very partisan makeup of the Georgia Supreme Court, that they could look at the use of the legal statute here and do something that they've clearly never done in any of the other convictions that she's done under the legal statute and say, well, this didn't actually apply, and just try and, you know, that'd be, that'd be the, really the only escape hatch, because even, even like another Republican president, can't, like, he doesn't have to win, um, another, like, you could, uh, there's a world in which, um, he's the nominee, and he wins, and he, and he parts himself, there's a world in which he loses the nomination, and another Republican wins, and is made to pardon him for all these things, and then there's a world in which, he or somebody else is the nominee, but Biden wins re-election, but then in four years, they get, uh, you know, you get a Republican president who ends up having to pardon him. In which case, maybe he does some prison time, maybe he doesn't. Like, those are the only scenarios, but none of those actually apply to this case. So, yeah, yeah. I think. I'd actually, it, uh, I put fifth the Milwaukee case. No, I was just kidding. I was just going to see if I could slip through. I, I, I was absolutely like, <laughs> that's how it worked. I was like, what are you doing, Milwaukee? I'm sure he did something. I just wanted to say yeah, it. Right, if he's ever visited Milwaukee, yeah, yes. But, but uh, yeah, that totally worked because I was like, why am I not remembering the Milwaukee case? Well, <laughs> one last thing here is I think it's what people are going to get treated to now is a uh, the series of arguments about 
about the RICO statute, when you talk about what Trump's people are going to be doing here. Because these statutes, at, at the federal level, they've been subject to a lot of litigation. Just people have um, concerns. And I think it's a really fascinating debate about whether they're overbroad, that they're vague, they have double jeopardy concerns, First Amendment issues, Tenth Amendment issues. And there've been a, there's been a ton of back and forth over whether these are constitutional or not. And one thing you're gonna, you, you can bank on is that uh, these right-wing figures are quickly going to be fashioning themselves legal experts now and arguing that these statutes shouldn't exist. Uh, which, you know, like, th these types of statutes exist because of law and order Republicans, mostly, right? So, oh, a lot of them yeah. were used initially to prosecute organized crime that had penetrated organized labor, which is yeah. a real good indication that, you know, the Republicans have been fond of these for a long time, right? When you think back... Uh, to what, uh, you know, the, there have been at times uh, cases where, particularly I think in New York and Chicago, where the mafia was very tied into organized, organized labor, and that's where, so yeah, all of a sudden Republicans will be, like, you know, but it, it, but Republicans who are also very quick to uh, try and conflate in the American mind organized crime and organized labor, like they genuinely want you to believe that the person who shows up to organize a workplace of like nurses is like a mobster, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they would, much like they have abandoned their opposition to Russia. Well, you are from Kansas that. City, where apparently the KC mob. Uh, that was a thing. Historically, it was a it was very tight with labor. Uh, okay, okay, so uh, let's actually shift to, to Hunter. So I. Uh, Merrick Garland made a, a pretty big announcement uh, that I think... Oh, actually, wait. Before we before we go to Hunter, can we talk about this Trump report he's putting out? Oh, yeah. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah, so... Um, go ahead. Trump has said, yeah, he, he said he's going to release a large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report, which is in all caps, on the presidential election fraud, which took place in Georgia. Uh, and he's going to do this 11 a.m. on Monday of next week in Bedminster. This is what he said on Truth Social. Uh, do, you, uh, do you think this is a good strategy? I think it's a strategy. I think it's a Trump-type strategy. It's made me think of two things. Uh, one that is kind of silly and, and personal, and then one that is less silly but still personal. Um, okay, so thing one is... So you and I both went to law school, but you had the good fortune to never really practice law. And I practiced law for, for, for a few years. And I can remember um, there being many times when, like, I was putting together, like, a large legal brief full of arguments, and, and it would just get too big, right? And, my, and I remember, like, one of the lawyers I worked for would come in, and I would take over an entire conference room, and I would have, like, it was like a you know, a beautiful mind in there, right? I had, like, note cards up everywhere, and like, I would take over the whole table, and none of it would make sense, but it would make sense in my brain. And I would put together, like, this 50, 60-page brief. I, I hated doing this stuff, but when I would do it, I would just lean all the way in, and then I would file it thinking, like, I can blow this judge's mind. And then it would just, like, like, it was, I, like you, you know, because... I would get so deep into my own arguments and ideas that I would completely sometimes lose touch with, like, the idea that, like, I was just going too deep in, into, uh, into my argument. And I think there's a part of that here, and that's not Trump. I think that's this Liz Harrington, the, the staffer that is putting this together. I just picture her 
in a room with note cards citing crazy stuff that crazy people have said, and she's gotten so deep into building this thing that I believe that she truly believes that this is going to do exactly what Trump is saying, which is cause everybody to be like, oh my God, we got it all wrong. This is the big <laughs> twist at the end. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. You know, <laughs> like that level of, sorry if I just spoil the movie for, it's, you've had plenty of time, people. Um, but that level of twist, and I think she probably in her mind believes that all these charges are going to be dropped and there's going to be apologies. That's the first thing that makes me laugh. The second thing is the Trump side of this, which is this reminds me quite a lot of after Trump won in 2016, when he took office in 2017, he the first thing he did was he wanted to you know, attack American democracy, as he has been doing for many years. And so and with he Russian interference. And so he created, I don't know what they called it, but it was like the Voter Integrity Commission. And if you remember, Chris Kobach, the then Secretary of State, oh, yeah. now Attorney General, actually, of Kansas, um, was was made to chair the thing, and uh, and I, at that time um, I and uh, Abe Rago, who uh, who worked for me on, on all things political, we went to uh, Tom Perez, who was the chair of the DNC, and we were like, we need a commission that will counter this commission because it's going to seem really legit. It's a presidential commission on voter fraud, and so I remember uh, Tom Perez was like, okay, let's do it. Uh, he said, Jason, you'll share it. What do you want to call it? And we were like, we want to call it the Commission to Protect American Democracy from the Trump Administration. <laughs> and he was like, don't you think that's a little on the nose? And I was like, I was like, well, I think that's the thing is you got to be on the nose. And so that's what we did. And basically, it was like, it was several people who you would know, like Cory Booker, Alex Padilla, who's now a senator, was Secretary of State then, people like that. And we, uh, Basically, when, when Kobach would do his thing, we would show up and, like, do our thing and protest and stuff. And I think the Kobach Commission only ended up having two meetings because nobody would cooperate with it. But my point is, because it was such a dog and pony show, my point is, like, this is what Trump does. Like, I think Liz Harrington really believes that she's putting together this smoking gun, you know, argument. And I think Trump is like, look, this is what we do. We say things that are legit or not legit make it seem very official when we do so. And I think this is the same move. Uh, I think it might be a problem with some of these cases. Yeah, it, by the way, you remind me of that. Remember that interstate compact that we were talking about uh, from the states uh, to protect the vote, like with the sharing information for voter fraud uh, prosecutions yeah. and stuff that the Republican states pulled out of? I was just reading an article the other day that uh, Republican states are flailing now to try to tamp down a Voter fraud because they just they were they're not part of that distribution. It's so
So, uh, this is fascinating for a number of reasons. One is that um, the two star witnesses at the Hunter Biden hearings recently were these IRS agents uh, who um, their big claim was that Merrick Garland, that uh, Weiss, who's the uh, U.S. Attorney for Delaware, who's a Trump appointed U.S. Attorney, who's been kept on to keep this investigation we, going. We should, we should point out these are the congressional hearings, not in the Congressional, yeah, yeah, congressional hearings. They had these IRS agents show up who said that, among other things, that Weiss had sought special counsel status and was denied. And then Weiss quickly clarified, hey, no, actually, I have not sought special counsel status, which makes him even more independent. Like he's, he's, he was, by all accounts, independent anyway, but he makes him fully, like, you know, walled off from everybody at this point now. And, uh, so Weiss clarified, he was like, look, I haven't sought special counsel status, and if I did, I would get it. And now he's got, I think this happens also as Hunter's plea deal has fallen apart, which I find really puzzling if you read the details in this. Basically, it seems like the prosecutors and the defense are arguing slash bickering in front of the judge who is asking sort of pointed questions about to Hunter's team about whether they... They believed that the deal that they struck would make them immune from future prosecution, and apparently didn't, but the defense that did. Seems like a huge mess. Oh, okay, um, obviously, like this is a, a clear, uh, one of many clear pieces of evidence that the Biden administration is going by the book and walling this off and doing all the proper things. Uh, the right wing is like perplexingly up in arms about this now. I, I don't exactly know exactly what they want, but. They've been calling for this, and now they don't want it. I don't know. It makes no sense. But I would say this is a bit of a mess, both from Hunter's side of things with his attorneys and whatever's going on between them and the prosecutors. I'd also say, Jason, like, I think the White House needs to tighten up on this kind of stuff. Like, we go through it, but they've, they've made, like, some contradictory statements, but some that have been contradicted by Hunter, some that have been contradicted by things that we just know from the public record. Biden has gotten really defensive and sparred with reporters about this kind of stuff, including like reporters who are just asking basic questions about this. I get that it's his son, I get that he's sensitive to this, but I, I don't think Biden himself has anything to hide. Uh, and so I think they should, they should get a little bit more buttoned up and organized about this, because this thing ain't going well. I have to imagine this is a super hard thing, for the very reason you mentioned, to get buttoned up about, right? Like, imagine yeah. you're working for Biden, right? Um, Look, we, you don't have to know Biden personally to understand how he feels about his family, and particularly the way, you know, the tragedy that has taken place on more than one occasion with his family, like, how, how you know, deeply uh, he feels about that sort of thing and how sensitive all that is. But, like, I've, I've talked to President Biden before he was president about Bo and about his family, and then he, like... When you talk to him about those things, he it's different than the public book persona. He he slows down. He's even more, you know, it's not, like, oftentimes with Joe Biden, um, there is this very charming, folksy nature, but also you do hear the same things over him, right? 
it. So, so it can tend to be like, okay, I get it. That's sort of the persona. And you get below the persona, and he, he talks in the way a father talks about his children and, and his family. And so imagine you're working in the White House, and you have to address this kind of thing as like, hey, we really need to be thought, we need to be um, really uh, reticent to address any of this, and we can't, we can't get our back up about it, we can't be offended. Who in the White House is going to go tell a father that, right? Like, somebody yeah. obviously is, but that's a very difficult yeah. thing to do. And so I just, you know, I'm only saying it to say I sympathize with both Biden and with the staff and having to deal with something like this that is, as you said, not in any way because of the president's doing, um, but is yeah. but the Republicans are working very, very hard to make it seem like it is. Yeah, you know, there, there are a couple of missteps here that I think are just... 101 type of stuff on this, and again, like, it is understandable that you'd be sensitive about a science editor, but, uh, number one, don't snap at reporters who are asking questions. Uh, I think two is, don't answer for your son. Like, he's, he's at various points answered questions about who got paid by what. There was one inter interaction that, you know, when I was in my debate with Ricky, uh, about this, um, he understandably threw it back in my face, which was Biden basically going line by line with the reporter saying, oh, we didn't know Biden, including my son, received money from X, Y, and Z. And it turns out that it wasn't exactly accurate. It wasn't it wasn't inaccurate because Joe Biden took any money, which he would know, but his son did. And the Biden shouldn't be answering questions for his son anymore. Let his son answer, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I was thinking a lot about this. I was thinking about like, how we could be helpful to listeners, and I think it's about how not to respond to this stuff, right? So, like, when, because Hunter Biden is going to come up uh, a fair amount, right? Yeah, this thing uh, ain't going We know this. I mean, they're going to talk about this. I mean, heck, they talked about it in the midterms, and Biden wasn't on the ballot. Um, so we know that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, so I think the first thing I could say is how not to respond which is, I don't think it, and this is most people's first instinct, but I don't think it does much good to compare Hunter Biden to Jared Kushner, or to compare Hunter Biden to Donald Trump Jr., or to compare to Ivanka, because I think that's what the Republicans want, and that's what Trump world wants, because, as we know, like, there is the idea of the Biden crime family is an invented concept, right? Um, but no, it's egregious and fact based. The surest way to make it feel real the fraud that they is committed. to correlate the two. Because the thing is, like, a lot of Republican voters, Grift. whether Super they say Grift. it out loud or not, the they, they agree or they at least acknowledge that Trump doesn't always stay on the right side of the law and that his family doesn't stay on the right and side of the law. The but they've decided that they make that in and they've either justified it or they've accepted it. Decided, well, I like what he did with this, or I like the way he hurts the people I want hurt, or whatever it is. So when when you when you compare the two, even though the comparison is beyond apples and oranges, they're, they're completely separate. Once you're comparing them, now you're doing what they want, which is you're muddling them and you're making them both the same. And politics is the only world where that can so easily be done, right? You can take two things that have nothing to do with one another, but because people have such a deep cynicism about politicians, if you just put two things in the same sentence, now they're the same. Uh, and and so I think people have to be careful not to fall into that trap. Yeah. 
Well, okay, we're going to take a break uh, and hear from the front. We'll no, we're not. Well, we're going to break yeah. down. Well, sorry, just um, well, when we come back, we're going to no, give you no, the no, final word on this. Calling then, Trump. Solve problems. Calling Trump again. Dear NHS, <laughs> the hell? They hope to talk about what's going on in the lives of everyday Americans. Hi there, so shout out to KAMP, Super Radio, with the University of Arizona. Keep it on deep, press for your feet, on the radio, top radio, turn the radio. On the rest with Tristan Shoe, turn the radio,
China. So, so yeah, I, I listened to some interviews that reporters did uh, where people had to take care about my little Trump, and they mentioned his farm policies and tariffs, uh, which is a whole other segment, I guess. Uh, but he went straight at DeSantis, and DeSantis he saved the farmers. Um, no, is he, he saying that that was a positive thing? His tariffs? Because that that destroyed the farmers in America. No, it's no, fucking uh, uh, part of what they're asking him is China just, trade war with China over fucking nothing. Over his fucking ego. Like local Wherever party ego groups, goes. Like the heads of the ego. local parties, etc. And in this case, they asked him about state legislators who like him. DeSantis also uh, is cozy with the governor of Iowa, and he did an event with the governor. Um, at which he was heckled. Uh, this might not come across yeah. perfectly in audio, but let's go to this clip. Uh, this is DeSantis trying to do a, a, an interview at the Iowa State Fair with the governor of Iowa while Trump supporters uh, are just chiming in from the audience. Or many prosecutors have attested to now. Um, 
and that means it's it's like if Ron DeSantis is the nominee, Lawless. You, you don't have to rewrite the playbook on how to run for re-election if you're Joe Biden uh, or if you're a candidate for the U.S. Senate and you're having to run in that environment. But but you have to rewrite the playbook every time to run against Trump because his people are just not above showing up and disrupting the comments of the governor of their state. Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, and trolling, and, like having a banner that just says, be likable. And so that's what I take. Well, uh, I have one other video to show you that I think... Honestly, I did you did you know about this before I texted it to you? No, I didn't even receive text out. Uh, I texted this to you as soon as I saw it. Okay. I, 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 I want to remind our audience that we were early on this Vivek thing. Vivek Ramaswamy, yeah. we've been talking about him for a while. He's now pulling second in the most recent poll that I saw uh, in the national, oh, wow. which is insane. Uh, and so uh, he decided to uh, give performance at the Iowa State Fair. Let's go to this one. Sometimes cool, and I, I was never not cool, but I was sometimes just people are like, oh yeah, that guy's there. So then there are the vast majority of candidates out there, uh, and and I, I would say no offense, but it is offensive to these candidates. What I'm about to say, which is the people who are just really, really not cool, and part of their sort of their their complex that makes them decide to run for office and go through the gauntlet of running for office is like this deep-seated, just like wounds that they have of being nerds or outcasts or whatever. And when I look at Vivek Ramaswamy rapping Eminem to a crowd at the Iowa State Fair, I can't help but think this guy is a kind of a loser. I don't know what else to say. Like, he's a guy who, like, clearly has some deep-seated issues going back to high school, maybe middle yeah. school. Uh, I can't imagine what would make him decide to do that. Um, but he's the kind of guy who I guess doesn't have the kind of staff who's going to step in. And you were talking about, like, Joe Biden's staff, like, needing to tell him the uncomfortable truth. Somebody needs to tell Rebecca the uncomfortable truth about this performance. Well, okay, let me play devil's advocate just oh for fun, okay? <laughs> Which is that he didn't do a horrible job. He didn't do a good job of performing it, you know. But it wasn't completely cringy. But what it's is it? But what is it? Is what I'm saying. Like, it's not I like. Think, well, here's it, my point. Here's my cool. argument: is that if you have, to, if you're a Republican 
at the Iowa State Fair who is considering Vivek Ramaswamy. It has to be like, you've got to be somebody who is attracted to the idea of the next generation, something different, somebody who delivers the same sort of hateful language and lines and, and intolerance, but does it, and you know, we had, I forget um, the young woman's name who came on the show and talked about uh, gender washing, where they, where the Republicans will have a candidate who says all of the same hateful and terrible things, but it'll be a woman, and so it seems not quite as harsh because it's a woman. And you know, here you have an Indian, I think he's Indian American, right? An Indian American guy um, who is young. Those two things are not considered typically Republican. And now he's, you know, rapping, which is way off the chart of things that are considered typically Republican, particularly conservative. Too cool the, I was for So is it some brilliant strategy to actually be different in a way that, you know, none of the others have been able to become different? I don't know. I don't think so, but I wanted to say those words and see what would happen. <laughs> I've had enough of the GOP field, Jason. Let's grab an oar. Okay, absolutely. So, uh, for grabbing oar, um, what I was thinking we would talk about this week, just real quickly, um, is uh, what's going on in Hawaii and in Maui um, with the horrible tragedy, the fires, the people who have lost their lives, and uh, it's just an opportunity for all of us to Apparently try and do something about fell. it to Revenor and, and be supportive of the efforts there. And I was looking up different causes. I Happened think in the middle of the night, seven, seven fires started at the same time. With me is the Hawaii Community Foundation. They have Sounds a like strong sabotage um, to, me. to me, that made the most sense because it is, uh, it's local and there's really no doubt uh, whether or not you know, it's local and whether or not the money is going to stay there. And so I found several places where it was recommended. So I would just encourage people, you know, look, this show is about us being able to make arguments and make inroads in red states, but it is also really just about trying to help people in blue states or red states. And so I always need to help them. Yeah, terrible. So that said, what for us? Yeah, well, I'm in Maine. Great state. I'm in Booth Bay Harbor. Maine. I hadn't been in Maine in about a decade, but I uh, came up here because the, there's, you know, New England in the summer, because you were up in Boston recently, New England in the summer is beautiful. Oh, it's amazing. I don't go near it in the wintertime, but what it's nice about, love it. One of the best places in the world. So I'm just up here enjoying, going right back to sailing after this. Yeah. And I'm training for the, the, the Open, that, that tennis match where if I lose, I can catch you on my flight, so I don't Okay, when is that? That is uh, September 9th. Yeah, I was going to say, it's coming up. Okay. Uh, I mean, I love My game's getting tight. Once. I'm getting tight. Um, I'm actually doing a legit, my first legit tennis tournament the weekend before that in Brooklyn. Oh. There's like a uh, Prospect Park is having a uh, tennis tournament that I'm entering. You could practice for the Curvia Open, um, but I'm entering like intermediate uh, part of it. So That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, good for you. Well, As you know, I'm a big supporter of competitive sports of all ages. Yeah. Uh, so, um, well, I, first, real quick, the one for us is, I'm going to mention again that the paperback for Christmas Storm, uh, my book has come out. Uh, I think people can get it uh, wherever you get your books. Uh, but, really what I want to talk about is today is actually uh, mine and Diana's 20th wedding anniversary. Oh my god! Um, yeah, which is which is very cool, and I've been you know really reflecting on this uh, today and yesterday, and I you know 
yesterday was like just a day. You know, I love my wife every day, um, but yesterday I was just feeling an awful lot of love. And there were two moments: one where, um, as you know, the Rauhi family, the Afghan family that I've been a part of helping them get out of Afghanistan because of our connection to them from my service, but also uh, getting them here to the United States. And now they live. Um, and have for the last eight weeks, six minutes from our house here in Kansas City, and become part of our family. And uh, my wife has just really, really jumped in to uh, doing things with the Ruthie family. Um, in fact, you know, yesterday uh, she organized. She organizes every year in our neighborhood, um, along with a couple of neighbors, just a water balloon fight with the neighbor kids and with our kids. And this year we went and got the Ruthie kids, and, and so it was like a really sweet moment where my wife. Had, you know, and I had told Raheem Ruth, the head of the family, when he was still stuck in Afghanistan, and I was trying to help him get out. I said to him, one day our kids will play together in my backyard. And so, you know, and just my wife making that happen, it made me feel a lot of love. But then a couple hours later, we were at True's baseball game. And, you know, when Diana and I were dating uh, many, many years ago now, um, and even before we had kids, like she never, and this is probably true for a lot of women, uh, she never saw herself as like, like, she, like I always would. I just couldn't wait to be a dad. I don't think she's been a person that's like, I can't wait to be a mom. Um, huh. She always is like, I know we're going to have kids, but like it was not a part of her future identity or anything like that. But she's this incredible mom, but she's also this, you know, she, she's a, a great speaker and a businesswoman, and she does all these things. But there was a moment yesterday at Trish baseball game where um, she's sitting there with Bella on her lap, and uh, True was like sliding into third. He was running into third, and I heard Diana louder than anybody else yell, "Down, down!" <laughs> like top of her lungs, like telling yelling at True to slide. Uh, and then like the ball was over there, and she was like, "Go, go!" You know, and and it was just really funny because I just immediately thought back to uh, you know my wife, who I remember once looking at a woman who was wearing at my military intelligence school graduation, there was a spouse there wearing a black shirt and there was a toddler that was eating Cheetos and it was like all oh over God. her and my and Diana was like, at least two more years before we have kids, at least two more years. And and now she's like full on travel baseball mom and, and like really into it. And anyway, so I'm feeling a lot of love as I am every day. For well, congratulations, 20 years, my goodness. Uh, and the, the book you mentioned at the start of this, I, I made this point when it first came out, but it's as much a love story as it is anything else. It's a really touching book, and, and Diana actually has, uh, she, she, for those of you who haven't read the book yet, Diana kind of weaves in throughout the book on Jason's account of, of things, and it's, I've never seen a book do it like that, and it's really lost. Well, thanks. I appreciate it very much, and uh, this has been fun as always. Um, thank you, everybody. Uh, remember to subscribe to Majority Fifty Four wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority Fifty Four and please leave a five star review. Thank you to the Midas Mighty, and remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. So if you hear this, freaking miracle, share my shit and piss off my centers. Let's see what else Midas takes. Uh, say, Judge Cannon issues bizarre order and keeps making errors. So why the fuck don't you remove her? Now delivering groceries. You shop, we drop, 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 drop. Trump versus Judge's full phone call.
I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network, watching Judge Eileen Cannon continuing just to fumble order after order, not realizing what's even going on. Experience. Case filed by Special Counsel Jack Smith against Donald Trump and two other co-defendants relating to the willful retention of national defense information as well as obstruction of justice and making false statements for effectively stealing top secret and classified documents that belong to the United States government and trying to cover it up. And as I've said before, Judge Eileen Cannon's corruption is matched by her incompetence, inexperience, and stupidity, if I'm being crude but accurate here. And so Judge Eileen Cannon, in this most recent order, she's seeming to realize, oh, wait a minute, this is a case that involves classified information under SEPA. Wait a minute, I'm not allowed to hold certain hearings in public if we're discussing the classified information at issue. Those have to be done under seal. Oh, wait. I keep on striking special counsel Jack Smith's documents that he's submitting under grand jury secrecy, but those documents are supposed to be kept confidential. Oh, wait. I'm about to get reversed by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal again, and I am in big trouble. So Judge Eileen Cannon, in this most recent order, she had originally said a hearing to discuss the Section 3 SEPA protective order that was filed by Special Counsel Jack. I'm the only presidential candidate calling for her immediate removal from the case. She's just wasting everybody's time. It's exactly what her Fuhrer wants her to do. who has been calling for Judge L. Jack Smith, attention, capital siege section, to file to remove her. Make sure they file to remove her immediately. Midas, mighty. Outrageous, I am the only presidential candidate calling for Judge Cannon's immediate removal from the case. Midas Mighty, please call the Justice Department attention. Jack Smith, capital C, section file. Tell him. Tell him. Smith and his team. She set the hearing. Oh, by the way, I said outrageous. I am the only presidential... Candidate calling for Judge Cannon's immediate removal from the case. Midas Mighty, please call the Justice Department attention. Jack Smith, Capital Siege Section. 
Tell him file to remove her immediately. This 25th, 2023, she said a public hearing. These SEPA hearings take place under seal by law. There has been all of this briefing taking place, and she must have just looked at her calendar and said, oh, wait a minute, August 25th, that's next week already, and if this hearing is going to take place, it's not allowed to take place. Christopher Press, Trump for prison. In public. So here's the order that she just issued, and let's explain together what it all means. Order scheduling sealed hearing on SEPA Section 3 Protective Order. A sealed hearing on the special counsel's renewed motion for protective order pursuant to Section 3 of SEPA, Classified Information Protection Act, will take place at a designated time and place to discuss sensitive security-related issues concerning classified discovery. Any forthcoming motion for a SEPA Section 3 protective order as to defendant Day Oliveira, that's the maintenance worker who was indicted in the superseding indictment by the grand jury in Florida. Well, that shall be... Okay, everybody call. I'm gonna add sign the Justice Department. DEPT. The Justice Department 202. DOJ, DOJ. Ah, yo. Demand televised Trump trials from now on. The American people need to know. And remove Judge Cannon immediately from the case. Stop wasting everyone's uh, everybody, our time. Stop wasting time. Wasting time. It's just more, just more preferential treatment for diapered on, diapered on. <laughs> it's all about delay, delay, delay. Christopher Price, Trump for prison. Okay. Call the, the Doge. Demand televised Trump trials from now on. American. People, 
need to know. And remove Judge Cannon immediately from the case. Stop wasting time. Just more preferential treatment for diaper dawn. Everybody call the Justice Department, 202-514-2000. Demand televised Trump trials from now on. The American people need to know. And remove Judge Cannon immediately from the case. Stop wasting time. Just more preferential treatment for diapered on. Delay, 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 delay. Trust for press, Trump for prison. Um, hmm. Rides to the ads. <laughs> Be proud if you're nothing like Donald Trump. Let's not forget. See who should I tag? Well, whoever you're gonna tag, do it quickly, quickly Trista. All right, no problem, no problem, then. And so, how are you guys doing? Obviously, you barely survived the Trump virus. Everybody, hey, here's some good news. If we can get through this little traumatizing post-traumatic Trump syndrome, PTTS, Beachview, South Africa. Um, let's see, how about some Popop? Citizens for Ethics, Midas Touch, Occupy Democrats, No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, Washington Post Opinions, Opinion. Mm. The Hill Opinion, Opinion. Apparently anybody can get in uh, something in the Hill. He, he just, uh, Old Diaper Don just gave a shout out to the Hill. Oh, Hi there, we're back, and uh, let's get back to the show, man. 
keeping them haphazardly, stealing documents that didn't belong to him in the first place. Donald Trump's just a regular citizen right now. A horrific one, but that's what he is. He's no longer in office. He doesn't have the rights to these documents. He was asked to return them. He lied about it. He obstructed justice. And he was going in his hundreds of boxes. saying, hey, everybody, to these people ghostwriting thousand boxes. And say, hey, everybody, aren't I better than General Milley? Aren't I cooler than him? <laughs> you know, not funny at all. This results in people dying, getting people killed the way these documents are being handled. This blew my mind. Admit that the Justice Department. Them too. The rest of our boxes are yes, Trump. Christopher Press, Trump for prison. Think of what I found. So I said, I am the only presidential candidate calling for the Justice Department to get a search warrant and search the rest of his properties immediately. Presidential, I'm the only presidential candidate calling for get the rest of our boxes of national defense secrets. I'm the only presidential candidate calling for the immediate incarceration and disqualification of diaper Donald Jackass Trump. Trusted for Prez, Trump for prison. But did you know that money is a personal finance app that finds and Jackass um, Donald Jackass diaper Donald Jackass Trump. That's rocketmoney.com slash Midas Touch. So here, Judge Eileen Cannon's like, oh, wait a minute, this shouldn't be a public hearing, which she previously scheduled. So she's learning in real time what her case is about. As I mentioned earlier, she still clearly doesn't know what the case is fully about as it relates to De Oliveira, the maintenance worker. But she's like learning the case, and that's why she's so inexperienced. She should have recused herself from the outset because, one, Trump appointed her, so she has the appearance of impropriety. But number two, she was reversed twice by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, finding that she unlawfully asserted jurisdiction over the search warrant executed in Mar-a-Lago on behalf of Donald Trump, the person who appointed her. So she should have recused herself. She didn't. She also has very little experience in criminal law in general. She hasn't even presided over that many cases. The few that she did, she had big problems in. She forgot to swear in the jury. She wouldn't let family members of one of the criminal defendants show up in court, which is also a violation of constitutional rights and would have led to a per se reversal had that criminal defendant not eventually pled guilty. But just very sloppy, doesn't know what she's doing. And as I mentioned before, she's created a legal quagmire in her court with 
all of with not taking control of the court, not knowing what she's doing. She's asking the parties to brief the propriety of grand jury proceedings that are still taking place in Washington, D.C., about potential other crimes Donald Trump committed with these documents that he stole because